Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world and thus making the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on Wiradjuri country and this podcast is brought to you from Turrbal and Yagara country. I'd like to recognise the first Australian's custodianship of this country for tens of thousands of years and their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to elders past, present and emerging. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. To the conscious horse people who came before me to lead the way. To those who stand beside me in our community now. And for those who will continue after we are long gone. I'd like to say thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that Lauren and I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up from as little as a cup of coffee a month you can help me keep this podcast going there are many tiers that you can choose from and if everyone who listens gave only five dollars a month it would make a massive positive difference to me there is a tier in there for small business subscription just like the one peter pap took up from peter and the herd this is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast episode Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery, equine communication and human and horse relationship building. Peter has had communication with my mare Gypsy who was the mare with me in the podcast picture and he was spot on about everything in there and he helped me a lot so I can highly recommend his work personally. Peter has also helped some of the listeners of this podcast, all of those who speak very highly of his work. You can contact Peter by looking him up on Facebook under Peter and the Herd or you can go to the show notes and follow the links there. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Elsa Sinclair who made the documentary Taming Wild and who does what she calls freedom-based training. Elsa and I talk about the two documentaries she has made so far and also the one she is filming now. And it's taking way longer than she expected, but for very good reason. The amazing thing about Elsa is that she's always listening, not only to the horses and her intuition, but to people when they ask really interesting questions. She takes on challenges consistently and her results are beautiful to witness. Sometimes she has a time frame to work within and sometimes, like now, she just has to keep filming until she finds a natural ending to the story and we discuss all of the things that she's found in these beautiful documentaries that she's made and in the community that she's made on Facebook and social media as well. I really love how Elsa thinks, how she trains and how she shows up for her horses and for the community. There is something in this chat for everyone, so I hope you really enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here is Elsa. Elsa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. It is an absolute pleasure. Where to start with somebody who's done so much? Let's start with, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. So I am what I call a freedom-based training teacher. 
And it's a term that I came up with on my own. So it's not something that people have often heard about. But I have been a horse trainer for my whole life. And I did an experimental project that I actually filmed and turned into a movie, which is called Taming Wild. And I really thought that I would do this experiment with this horse and I would make a really sweet movie. And then I would go back to my normal job of being a normal horse trainer. And that's not what happened. So you really thought that? Wow. I really did. Let's go and do something completely life changing. And then my life won't change. Nice one. <laughs> well, what I did is I attempted to train a wild Mustang that was an adult that had grown up in the wild with no tools at all, which meant I was never going to trap her between me and a fence. I was never going to use food as a motivator. And I was never going to use a rope or a stick or a flag or any sort of tool. But I was going to spend a year with her and see if riding was something that she would ever want to do with me if I never had any of those extrinsic motivators. And I knew that it was going to be a really, really slow process, much slower than anything anybody would want to do. And so I thought people would watch the movie and they would say, oh, that's sweet. And then they'd go about their normal life. I was really wrong. Yeah. People watch the movie. And they said, I want to know how to do that. And I would say, oh, well, it takes a long time and it's a lot of hours. And they would say, I still want to learn how to do it. And so I started teaching and I thought oh, people will do a little bit and then they'll realize how long it takes and how labor intensive it is and how many hours it is and they won't be interested anymore. And I was wrong. I'm because... so glad you were wrong. <laughs> I'm so glad you were wrong. Well done, horse world. <laughs> What happened is I found that all the things that I poured hours and hours and hours into doing and learning, people could boil down and they could take those same theories and do them for 15 or 20 minutes before they did their other kinds of training and everything got better. So people didn't have to commit to hours and hours and weeks and months and years of training to do what I did they could just take the same theories and apply it in a shorter time frame, And they're not necessarily gonna train without tools like I do, but just think about it. When you go to get your horse, you don't have any tools in that one moment. You're approaching your horse in the paddock or the field. They are free to be themselves. You are free to be you. And in that moment, there's a huge amount of conversation that can go on between the horse and the human. So that's what I study. And I call it freedom-based training. So let's go back a little bit because I want to know what on earth made you want to do this? How did it happen? So you said you've always been a horse trainer. So you grew up in a horse family, did you? I did. I'm actually a third generation horse trainer. So my grandfather showed show jumpers and rode polo ponies. And my mother taught every child in the neighborhood how to ride. So we had ponies of every size and shape. And we rescued a lot of horses and she taught all of my friends how to ride ponies. And then I followed in their footsteps in my own way. I was a centered riding instructor for a long time. And I did dressage and jumping and eventing and endurance racing. And, um, and then ultimately I ended up doing a lot of the work that Pirelli does. And I followed Pirelli natural horsemanship. 
And that was my main job um, when I went into the money-making side of it. People would call me up wanting to know how to load their horse in the horse trailer or, you know, solve the basic day-to-day issues or have a better relationship with their horse. And then one of my students asked me a set of really interesting questions. And she said, do you really think that horses want to be ridden? And I said, yeah, I think so. I think they love it. And she said, no, I mean, like, what if they grew up independently in the wild and they had their own sense of self and their own life? Would that horse really want to be ridden? And I said, oh, yeah, people bring in Mustangs all the time off the range and they teach them to be ridden and I think they really like it. And she said, but do you think those horses knew they had a choice? What a beautiful question. (laughs) And at that point, I was stuck. I didn't know how to answer that one. And so I went around doing all this research, trying to find somebody that I felt had given horses a choice. And Carolyn Resnick was probably the closest that I was able to find, Mm -hmm. but she did still use a fair amount of food motivation in her training. And she also hadn't done a lot of documentation of the work that she'd done with less food motivation. And so I thought, you know, somebody really needs to do this. Somebody needs to take an adult wild horse and spend time with it and see if it wants to be ridden, um, if it knew it had a choice. And so I went around telling all of my horse trainer friends that somebody should do this. (laughs) 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 And they all laughed at me. And I realized if somebody was going to do it, it was going to have to be me. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, you know, I'm a single parent and I have to work and, uh, you know, I don't have time. So maybe, maybe I'll dream about it and it'll be a retirement project. It'll be something I do when I'm more stable in my life. <laughs> but I couldn't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so everybody who had a moment heard all about my idea. And then I ended up with a client who'd always wanted a Mustang. And he said, listen, I think you really need to do this project. And I know money is an issue. What if I drive down to the corrals with you, you pick out your Mustang, I'll pick out a Mustang for myself. I'll pay all the travel expenses and then I'll pay you to train my Mustang. So you have enough money to do your experimental project. And at that point I couldn't say no anymore. So lucky for me, I had a good friend who was a professional videographer and she said, you know, if you're going to do this, we should film it. And I said, yeah, how do we do that? And so she told me what camera to buy and she said she'd come out once a month and do a couple of hours of filming for me. And I said, but what if it doesn't work? What if nothing happens? What if I sit in a pasture for a year and nothing happens? She said, well, then that's what happens. But um, she said, I know you pretty well, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be more interesting than that. And I said, but what if it's not? She said, well, it doesn't matter. Let's do it anyway. So we did. Wow. And did you take your, you said you're a single mom? Did you? Yes. One, how many children? Just one. Just one. Did you take so, your child with you? So no, my daughter, um, she stayed with her dad when I went to go pick up the horses. Um, she was six and a half at the time. 
Uh, now maybe she's seven. I've forgotten. I'd have to look back. But yeah, she was pretty young. And uh, she's very into horses. Um, but uh, she wasn't a big traveler. And it was a long trip with the truck. And we had to go overnight with the horses. So she was there waiting for me when I got home. Great. Yeah, it would, it would have, even though it would have been amazing for her to take a year out of school and do that, it's probably just a tiny bit young, isn't it? <laughs> well, actually, I brought the horse home with me. Oh. So we went to the corrals to pick out the Mustangs. And I, I worked a deal with the government agency in charge of it all that I could get one fresh off the range. So basically, they rounded her up on one day. I picked her out of the herd on the next day and then they put her in my trailer on the third day and I had her home within 11 hours after that. Wow. So she was pretty fresh. Um, they branded her and they gave her her first set of vaccinations, but they mm -hmm. trusted me to give her her second set of vaccinations, which was, I, I was very grateful, but it was actually a really big pressure on me because three months two or three months. Again, I'd have to look back at my notes, but you know, there's a certain set of time you've got to give your booster vaccinations. And I thought, I'm not going to put a halter on this horse. I'm not going to trap her between me and a fence. Is she going to let me stick a needle in her neck and give her her second round of vaccinations? So that was kind of an exciting part of the project. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really interesting because I was so, so nervous when it came around to do it. I'd been prepping in every way I could. And when I finally went to give her that second round of vaccinations, she reassured me all the way through it. She kept nuzzling my hair and nuzzling my arm. Like, why are you so upset? What's bothering you so much? And I was shaking and I was worried she was never going to trust me again. And she was totally fine with getting the shots. Um, she just was a little concerned that I was so upset. Yeah, wow. God, that that really says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. It really does. Just in, in that itself. It um you know, a story can say so much and that one says an enormous amount about horses, doesn't it? It really does. Um, I would say all the way through the project, I did it because somebody had to try it and I had very low expectations. And at every turn that horse blew me away with her generosity. I really had no idea how generous horses could be before I did that project. Yeah, I was just, before we spoke, I was having a, a conversation with a friend and she's talking about a horse who didn't, doesn't speak to her. She goes out for the day and then comes home and hasn't seen her for a whole day. And I've done a little bit of pet sitting for other people. And the one thing I learned from that, and I got something really beautiful out of it, doesn't matter if it's alpacas or cats or dogs or horses, whatever it is, I get there and they go, oh, it's you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And they're like, but where's my human? They <laughs> love their humans. Like once an animal connects with you and sees you as their human and their home, they really do love you. And they really do value you, even though they make you pay sometimes. My horses ignore me when I come back and haven't been with them for days. And I just thought, well, they just don't care. But now I know they do. And they're just playing a little game with me. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I think there's many different personalities of horses. There are of people and they have as many different responses to situations like being left and having someone come back again as people do. Some are really happy to see you when you walk back in the door and some need a little space and time to readjust back into the relationship.
Yeah, yeah, mine, mine, yeah, mine like to make me pay a little bit. <laughs> the girls, but anyway, what were the biggest learnings that you found during that first time with that Mustang? Um, it's hard. It's a hard question to answer because you know I've been training horses for. 30 years and a bit, you know, before that, my whole life basically. And in that one year, I think I learned more about horses than I had in all the other years put together. Wow. Because, you know, all of a sudden the horse had absolute and complete permission to say, no, you didn't get that right. I'm actually just going to walk away to the other side of the paddock. She didn't need to bite. She didn't need to kick. She didn't need to rear. She just left when I got it wrong. Beautiful. <laughs> and, um, you know, in the beginning, I had to have her in fairly tall fences because that's the law. But as soon as I was pretty sure that, you know, everything was safe enough, I turned her out in a really big field with a big herd of horses. And, you know, if I got things wrong, she could walk really far away. You know, she could make it really clear that I had messed up. And, you know, there was a lot of nights I just sat, you know, curled up in the hay manger crying because I thought I am never going to get this right. But it's those intense moments of feeling like you'll never get it right that lead to the motivation to think, well, what if I try this thing that's outside the box that I've never tried before, but you know, nothing else is working. So why don't I do that? And I think that's the biggest thing I learned was there's a way to take all the knowledge you've been given in your lifetime so far, but then look at it from a different angle and being able to think outside the box while still valuing everything you've learned in the past, I think it's been the biggest gift for me um, with everything I do now. It's not that you throw everything out that you know, it's that you learn to take everything you know and look at it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And this horse really taught me how to do that. And the crying is such a beautiful part of it as well. I know after a good crying session, um, everything seemed clearer. It, it clears the decks for, um, for the thought to come in. Sometimes the, the idea is there, you just can't fit it into your body or your brain so a good cry or a good you know little tantrum or whatever it is you need to do um we're not hurting anyone obviously it um it clears the decks and that little little idea can pop in finally yeah i think that our emotions often get in the way of our intelligence you know we talk about emotional intelligence as being able to interact with others and that's really, really important. But I think that when they get out of balance and our emotions get too big, we lose that intelligence of knowing how to interact with the other. And so, as you said, you've got to clear the decks a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the, the uh, intellectual knowledge, the thinking can come into balance with the feeling. It's time for a very quick break because there's something really important that I'd like to tell you about. Another of our small business subscribers for this podcast is the Heart Horse Box. Heart Horse was created by friends Teaster and Charlotte, 
who found a beautiful spot to place themselves in the horse business world. They have created a safe online community environment outside the noisy world of social media where you can dive in and speak openly with heart-minded, conscious horse people of all disciplines and breeds. This membership includes live seminars and classes from equine experts from all areas of the equestrian world. They also have the beautiful Heart Horse Box subscription. I do love this one as it's centred around you, the conscious horse person, receiving nourishing gifts for you as Heart Horse understand that you are already taking amazing care of your horse and they want to make sure you are doing the same for yourself. I am thrilled to let you know that if you go to hearthorsebox.com and use the code EDENRIVER, you will receive a 25% discount on your first month of the Heart Horse Community Membership. That one is international. That's one for everyone in the world. You may also like to check out their Heart Horse podcast. It's another great free resource from the Heart Horse team. You may even find the episode where I was a guest on their podcast talking about my life with horses and how this podcast and the Conscious Horse Movement came about. The links are also in the show notes. Now, do you believe that you got the right horse at the right time for the right project? Do you believe if you got another Mustang, you would have had a different result? Yes. So, you know, I have since learned that I got incredibly lucky. Um, you know, I had gotten a Mustang in a couple of years previous, so I was familiar with Mustangs in general, but the one that I got for this project, she was really generous. I know I said that before, but there's something about her personality in particular. And when I got her, I didn't have high hopes because her herd area came with a reputation of being particularly spooky, flighty, and um, overreactive. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they had said, oh, you know, it's not a great herd for you to pick from. And I said, it's the herd that you have at the time that I need a horse. We're going to go with it. And so I thought that I would struggle, but I ended up just picking this incredible horse with this incredible generosity. And Um, I'm going to jump ahead just for a moment. Mm. I'm right now filming the third movie. So I'm in my third movie. I'm recreating the first movie, but with a couple of stallions instead of a mare. And I will tell you, I did not get such generous horses this time around. (laughs) Which makes it even more interesting. It does. But it also makes me so grateful for that first interaction that really made me feel like this was possible. Not only made me feel like it was possible, but showed me that it was possible beyond my wildest dreams before I then, you know, got to try it again and be more challenged by different individuals. Mm. So when you're working with that first mayor and you're first out there, were you trying to teach the mayor something or were you going in with that I have no idea what's going to happen today let's just see and worked in the moment no I really was trying to teach her my goal was to ride her by the end of the year Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to teach her to trust me first and foremost so that you know things 
went a little bit not to plan. She would not panic or feel overwhelmed. So most of my beginning work was in taking actions around her that made her feel safe. And a lot of that was watching the territory so that she could eat or relax. Um, so that I was, I was the watch horse and she was um, not so responsible for the safety of the group when I was around. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that I was trying to accomplish. And then after that, you know, once she was comfortable with me touching her, um, I wanted to see if I asked her to go left or right or stop or back up. Is that something she would say, yes, I'd love to do that. Or is that something that she said, no, I didn't like the way you asked me that. I think I'm going to leave instead. And so it was a lot of learning to ask in a way that she said, yeah, I'd love to try that thing that you suggested. So now my question is, were you teaching her or was she teaching you? Both. So, you know, this is the beautiful thing about freedom-based training. I really believe there is always someone teaching someone and hopefully it's a back and forth situation. That's how a good relationship is, in my opinion. Yes. So I come in with an idea of something that I would like to impart to my friend, in this case, a horse. I'd like to show her something or I'd like to ask her to do something and see how she feels after she's done what I asked. And then she is going to, in return, train me what, who she is, what she likes, what she doesn't like. Um, and then I'm going to learn her as she's learning me and vice versa. Mm. Yeah, I can just see a picture of, um, you know, me trying to teach a horse something and the horse is standing there going, no, no, let me show you. Let me just show you how it's done. Can you just, <laughs> if you just listen, just, if you just listen, I'll show you how to do this. That's my <laughs> visions when I'm training horses. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a scene in the movie where um, it was the day that was pouring rain and my friend with the camera was there and I thought, how am we gonna do filming? And she ended up crouched under an umbrella for hours filming me. And I thought, today is the day I'm gonna teach Mirna how to step up on a wooden box. We'd never ever tried it before. And it was hilarious, you know, the whole process of me asking her to step on the box and her, doing all sorts of different things with the box, but not sure she wanted to step on it. You know, we could pound on it. We could sniff it. We could step beside it. We could do, and you know, it was this whole exploration of how many different things could we do with the box. And I really had a specific idea of what I wanted. And she had all these other things that she wanted to show me along the way. And it was really important that I look at the things that were interesting to her along the way to doing the thing that was interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Relationship. You know, yeah. it's the absolute pinnacle of two way, isn't it? It's just <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What is your second movie about? So after I did the first movie, and then I was surprisingly enough asked to teach the things that I'd learned. Mm. Um, I ended up developing an online course and I ended up, you know, traveling around the world, teaching clinics and all sorts of things that I never expected. And there were two questions that came up more than anything else. One of the questions was, yes, so you were able to do this freedom type training with a horse that had no history, no baggage. She didn't know anything bad about people. 
could you do some sort of a freedom-based training with a horse that had an abuse history, that didn't trust people, that had a reason to not cooperate with people? And my answer was theoretically yes, but I didn't know for sure. And then the other question that came, kept coming up is, so in your movie, you spent four to six hours every day with one horse to get to this amazing end result. Is there any way you could speed that up? Still work within the realm of freedom, but not have it take quite so long. Yeah, because not all of us can put our life on hold and head on out to a beautiful part of the world and grab a horse and take a year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extraordinary, but not doable for a lot of people. Right. So in the second movie, I had a friend who lived in Costa Rica, Andrea Wadey, and she said, I've always wanted to cross the country on horseback. And I was teaching a clinic down there that she had hosted for me. And she turned to me in the car one day and she said, do you want to do it with me? Do you want to ride across the country of Costa Rica with me? And I said, yes. And then we laughed and we let it go. And then uh, the conversation kept sort of popping up between us. And I said, what if we rescue some horses that really need a new start in life? And we cross the country while rehabilitating these horses. And we film it and we make it a movie. And so that's what we did. And you know, she went to the Suasta, the meat market there in Costa Rica, and she bought two horses. And it was a very traumatic uh, part of the project for her. And um, these horses were, you know, they had scars all over their body. They were being sold as meat because they were not considered useful for people anymore. They were either untrainable or um, for whatever reason, people had discarded them. So we had to earn their trust back. And one of the theories we had is if we did it while crossing the country, we would see so many different things together. We would experience so many variations of life together that it would speed up the bonding process between horse and human. And that was the theory we were testing out. And, uh, it was way harder than I ever expected. Um, and it was also way more successful than I ever expected. Mm. So um, in that case, we only took two weeks. It was a two week journey um, from the West Coast of Costa Rica to the East Coast of Costa Rica. What's and, the distance? Oh, I would have to look that up. Um, you know, we were doing sort of seven or eight kilometers a day. Okay, in two so weeks. that's not much. Yeah. yeah. It's very doable. Um, very doable. Yeah. And there's actually a trail. It's called the Camino de Costa Rica. Oh. And you can stay with locals all the way across the country. So, you know, every night we would have a local family that would make us dinner and they would give us a place to set up the corral for the horses. And then they would serve us breakfast the next morning and they would pack a lunch for us to take with us. So oh. it was pretty lovely, actually. That's amazing. And so how did you get to do the actual learning? Did you then have time once you'd set up the corral to go out and be with the horse or was the learning happening as you were doing the traveling? The learning was happening as we were doing the traveling. We did do, you know, a little in the morning and a little in the evening, but mainly 
you know, it was really hot out for most of the time. And, you know, we had to travel pretty slowly for the health of everybody. So most of our time was spent in transit. And we did have a friend with a beautiful, well-trained mare at the front. We had two rescued geldings. And one of our plans was so that we didn't have to put a lot of pressure on the geldings, we'd let this beautiful, well-trained mare lead the way, and then the boys could follow. Did it work? It did. Right. <laughs> well done there. Good yes. Biting bugs are a pain for you and your horse. If you'd like some natural and ethically made relief for your horse, made by me, then head on over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and grab some of the natural horse spray. There are two blends. The Kiowa blend may assist in keeping insects off your horse. The Gypsy blend was formulated to assist in repelling insects and also supporting the healing of Queensland itch and other wounds on your horse. If you head on over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and use the code COMEALONGFORTHERIDE, all one word, lowercase, then you will receive 15% off your order. Get your horse some relief now. Um, and what was, what was your greatest learning from that and how was it different to working with the Mustang? Um, well, it was profoundly different because the horse that I had, I named him Apollo, he wanted nothing to do with people. Um, he really did not want to be touched. He didn't want any interaction. Um, so, you know, most of the time when we were walking, I would walk at the end of my lead rope, sort of as far away from him as I could be. We couldn't do this in complete liberty because we couldn't lose the horses into the jungle. Mm. But um, the idea was to not use our tools or to use them as little as possible. And it was really sort of an art form of being pushing the edge of the comfort zone without alienating the horse and um i remember that there's this one day i think we were about two days in and i was playing between the phases of freeze and thinking so when my horse would get more frozen like the ears would get really still the eyes would get unblinking I would reach out and I would put my hand on him just enough to cause a little bit of thought. And then I would pull my hand away. So that way touch was starting to trigger a good feeling and it was being taken away before it was overwhelming or threatening in any way. Therefore it wasn't a pressure as such. It was more of a release almost. Exactly. So I was playing with this, but I got my timing wrong at one point and I left my hand on him for too long and we were coming around the corner and we were up on this high road on the side of a cliff and I left my hand on him for too long and he took his shoulder and he did that move where they just hit you with their shoulder just right to make you fall sideways yeah. only he bumped me right off the edge of the road <gasps> and it was just a sheer drop down and I remember grabbing at his mane with both hands to sort of stop myself from falling off the cliff and he let my, me pull myself up and I swear he looked at me out of the corner of his eye like yeah don't do that again <laughs> <laughs> oh bless him so, so did you do it again 
<laughs> I did, but I did it with better timing. He yeah. had educated me to be more tactful. And that's what this is about. Yeah. It really is beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's yes. the same thing every time. It's relationship, it's relationship, it's relationship. And relationships are two-way people, two ways. Yeah. Whenever it's only one way and you're working for your idea and your goal only without input from the other, it is just another form of slavery and domination. Yeah. So the interesting thing was, uh, you know, the first three days were really difficult because he was not generous. He did not help me at all. Mm. But then on the fourth day, I got a terrible bout of vertigo and I looked like I was drunk. I was staggering all over the road and my horse watched me for a while and then he sidled over and he tucked himself underneath my arm. And I thought, oh, you better let go really quick because he doesn't want you to do this very long. And I kept letting go and stepping away from him. And he kept walking over and tucking himself under my arm again, like, hold on, you idiot. <laughs> wow. And, you know, once I realized he was really trying to help me, that sort of changed everything between us. He had gone from a horse that didn't want to be touched to a horse that said, please hold on to me so you can walk a straight line. <laughs> In four days. In four days, yep. Wow. God, it just blows everything out of the water, doesn't it? Four days. Four days, yep. Goodness me. Because two weeks is not a long time. That's what I was going to ask you. Two weeks, can you really affect that much change in two weeks? Oh, yeah, I cried about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought maybe everything I did was too slow. And after he had been bought from the Suasta, the locals had come over to Andrea and they said, Andrea, congratulations on your new horse and please never, ever try and ride that horse. And she called me up and she said, I'm so sorry. I think I made a mistake. I think I bought the wrong horse. And I said, no, no, it's okay. I don't mind. I can walk all the way across the country. Riding is a bonus if I get to ride. It's not the point of the project. Mm. But he did. He did let me ride. And it just, it was the most amazing thing. It was like, we'd been doing it our whole life by the time I got on him and it was just never an issue. And was that a suggestion by you or a suggestion by him, the writing? Um, it was a suggestion by me. As you said, mm -hmm. you know, two weeks is a short amount of time. Yeah. So we walked side by side for a long time until there was a certain amount of trust. And then just the way I touched him briefly enough to pull him out of freeze but not so long to make him feel overwhelmed I did the same thing with leaning on his back or getting on and getting off and pretty soon he was pretty happy to just have me stay on Beautiful. so that the idea was that my riding was something that made him feel better not worse mm. and we had to prove to him that I had that kind of feel and timing that I was going to get off before it felt worse and he could trust me. And when you were riding him, did you ever have to get off? Did you know there was a certain amount of time? Um, I did get off frequently. I never really hit the edge where I had to get off mm. um, because the point of everything I do is you watch the ebb and the flow of stress level. Stress is always going up and coming down and 
as stress is coming down and they're feeling better and better, there's going to be a point where it turns a corner and it starts going up again. And if we can decrease the pressure or stop what we're doing or change what we're doing at the best moment, then the time that we do it again, there's an association built. I remember last time she sat on my back, I felt really good. So the point was always to get off while they still felt really good, not wait until after the stress had ridden and they didn't feel good anymore. Mm. What happened after two weeks? Do you still have him? I don't. The girl that, uh, Leanna, who led our pack mare, she fell in love with him on the trip and she lives in Costa Rica. She said, is there any way you would consider giving Apollo to me when the trip is done? And I couldn't think of any better place for him Mm. so he still lives there with liana and i get videos and updates every once in a while he's very happy Mm, and all those beautiful memories he's got of costa rica as well yeah (laughs) and so it wasn't exactly freedom-based training that we did in the second movie because we had to keep the halters on we had to have lead ropes but we took all of the theories from the first movie and, and tried to apply them in a, in a very sort of real way to a different kind of problem. Mm. And after that two weeks, did your training methods change at all or just grow? Um, yeah, I would say they just grew. Um, I have much more respect for how important movement is for the processing of new information. Yeah. For not for every horse, but for a lot of them. Um, There's a line that I say in the first movie, which is how stillness is the ultimate reward or something like that. And that was a very Mustang point of view. Um, The Mustangs, they travel so far to get food and water and, you know, they're, they love to be still if all of their needs are met because they've spent so much of their life traveling. Mm -hmm but that's not true of other horses. So that was something that I really had to learn as I applied those things that I learned from my Mustang to other horses is that movement plays a really big piece in the processing. Yeah. Especially um, if you have a horse with trauma as well. Yeah. For a horse with trauma, freeze response is is not what you want at all. That it's a very nasty place to go. Yeah, everything gets bottled up and then you don't want to see it when it comes exploding out. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So from there, how long between then and your next movie and how did that come about? So the next movie was really the movie I wanted to make first, but I didn't have the money or the facilities. I had wanted to do that first project with The Stallion but you have to have much more extensive fencing. And um, I didn't feel, you know, as a single parent to a small child, it was responsible for me to take a wild Mustang stallion and and do the project. So I did it with a mare, which I'm glad in hindsight that I did. But I really always wanted to sort of take this next piece. Not that I think stallions are that much more difficult, but there is, there's a story about them in our human culture. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to show people that just because it's a stallion doesn't mean that it needs domination. Yeah. 
And (laughs) that is something I wanted to explore. So really hard to not do it as well, because there's (laughs) so many stories, like so many stories we've got in our head. That's extraordinary. How did you, are you filming that at the moment or you finished the filming and you're in post-production? No, I am filming it in the moment. I, I bet off way more than I could chew. So we we would expect you to do by movie three. Excellent work. (laughs) So it was about eight months before I started the stallion movie after the Costa Rica movie finished. And I wanted to do a compare and contrast. So I got one stallion off the range that had been wild. And then I got another stallion from the kill pen that had been abused and had a history of attacking people. So that I had a compare and contrast with the same method on two stallions from very different backgrounds. Now, they were both eight years old. So much older than in my first project. My first project, Myrna, was four years old, which I think makes a big difference. As an eight-year-old stallion, both those stallions have a very clear sense of who they are and what they are and are not willing to do. So interestingly enough, um, I was very cocky going into this. I thought I knew a lot (laughs) and um, I was educated. Uh, I really thought the abused stallion would take me about three months to turn around. And then I thought after those three months, he would be just like any other horse. (laughs) I think that um, the trip across Costa Rica spoiled me. You know, all that travel, it was so effective. Um, I didn't really realize how vitally important that was. So here it was, I had, you know, this beautiful 16-hand Palomino, beautiful horse from the rodeo circuit. He'd been a professional bucking horse. And he, he wanted nothing to do with me. But I didn't have a trip to take with him. We didn't have anywhere we were going. All he wanted to do was eat and sleep. And freeze was his mode of being 99% of the time. And unfortunately, I had this beautiful idea that my two stallions would live together and they would be best friends and it would be wonderful. But what I found is the Mustang stallion had no tolerance for a friend that froze that much. Yeah, and, and, and two stallions coming together isn't like two mares coming together. It's very, very different. No. So they were actually good friends for about two weeks. It worked for about two weeks. And then the Mustang started putting more and more pressure on the domestic stallion. And he, every time he got more pressure, he froze up more. And it looked fine, but it wasn't until it blew. And when it blew up and he attacked, he is the most agile, amazingly athletic horse I've ever seen that I had no idea was under there. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they ended up hurting each other. And then after that, they didn't want to be anywhere near each other. They were trying to jump the fences on opposite sides of the space. So I had to separate them. Mm -hmm. They still live side by side. And we've gotten to the point where they are in together when I am with them as a chaperone. But I have to be there to tell the Mustang to back down 
before he triggers the other stallion into chaos. God, it's gone from, it's just a whole nother level, isn't it? It's not like a relationship between one and two. You're coming in like a parent and a mediator as well in between (laughs) two a very volatile relationship my yes. i see what you mean by a bit off more than you could chew wow <laughs> and you know what ultimately ended up happening is the mustang is fairly straightforward but he doesn't get much of my time because the traumatized stallion was such a puzzle and so difficult he ended up getting the majority of every day mm. and it took me almost a year before I could really touch him. Wow. So we are on year number two of filming now. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know how long this goes, but I'm curious to follow it through. And the movie will end at the point where I feel like there is some sort of a wrap up story that happens. And I don't know what that looks like yet. Wow. And where's the Mustang at? Oh, he's, he's wonderful. He's, um, I am not riding him yet, but you know, we're sort of doing everything but riding. He is interesting because he is so self-assured. He doesn't really need anyone. So out in the big pasture, he will go off on his own. He doesn't care if the other horses follow him or not. He goes where he pleases. He does what he wants. And he is the most independent horse I've ever met in my life, which means it's very difficult to convince him that doing things for me for the sake of the relationship is worth it. Um, Having said that, we made a really big breakthrough in the last couple of weeks and he's starting to follow me everywhere in a way that he never has before. So I think we're, we're, uh, we're coming over the crest of that interesting puzzle. And do you think that's a time thing or is there something specific that you cracked in yourself that allowed that to happen? Um, I think that it's a little bit of both, but I do think it's mainly a time thing. I think on the one hand, he's very, very different from the mayor that I got who was so generous. Um, he's not very generous. I will tell you, I think he's one of my favorite horses I've ever had because he is the most level-headed, emotionally stable horse I've ever met. Mm. No matter what happens, he's exactly the same horse. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get angry. He just takes the next step that seems appropriate to him. Wow. Um, So I adore him, but he's he's a pretty big training challenge. Having said that, There's nothing complicated about him. So I think if I had spent that sort of four to six hours a day, like I did with the mayor, I think we would absolutely be riding all over the place now. But, you know, it's sort of the thing where he gets more like an hour or two a week. And the rest of the time he just hangs out with me as I try and puzzle through the process with the abuse stallion. Does he give you advice? Um, No, he doesn't really give anybody advice. He minds his own business. Wow. What an extraordinary, extraordinary stallion. And do you find with, when you were talking about your first mare, Mira, you were saying that um, she was always taking care of you. Do you find that with the stallions or do you find that he's just so independent that he's like, whatever? Um, 
Yeah, I really find neither one of them are very caretaking, but I think that's just because we've not really been in any situations where they've needed to be caretaking. Okay. You know, there was in Costa Rica, it was really obvious when my horse needed to step in and help me. Mm-hmm. We haven't had any situations like that in my home where anybody's had to take care of me. Um, so I don't know that I've given them an opportunity like that. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And, and with me, Mir- yeah, it was the vaccinations with Mira. Right. And yeah. um, I didn't get to do that with my Mustang Stallion. They insisted on keeping him this time and doing all the vaccinations at the facility. And they didn't give him to me for the full two and a half, three months. So he was in holding longer than she was as well. And the troubled stallion, does he give you suggestions as as well? Is it a two-way or is he just a no, no, okay, maybe? Is he actually giving suggestions to you or just responding to what you're doing? He is starting to, yeah. Um, He, but his suggestions are, are more along the line of learning to communicate when I'm doing too much for his comfort level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it used to be the only way I knew I was doing too much was the level of deep freeze that he would go into. And now he's starting to be able to do things like give me a counter offer. You know, if I stand too close to his haunches, he'll turn and put me in closer to his head where he's more comfortable. Um, and that was something that never could happen before. He didn't really know how to make a counter offer. He only knew how to freeze or explode. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really huge. How do you find the patience? You know, I find that the word patience really only comes up when I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. If there are enough details that are interesting to me, I don't have to be patient. There's sort of just not enough time in a day for all the things I want to discover. And mostly that's how the process goes for me. There are times when I have to be patient when I'm stuck and I don't know what to pay attention to. Um, But those are fewer and fewer as I develop my skills a little bit more. It's amazing. So many people would have, um, you know, these horses would have been in the doggers so long ago or beaten, you know, to to be compliant. And here you are two years down the track. (laughs) So, you know, this is the interesting thing. I started a Patreon group where I post weekly videos of the two stallions and people get a little update on what's happening in the filming of this movie. And these two stallions have such a big fan group now. It's really fun. Mm. Um, just but not was- surprising. <laughs> I'm, I'm already in love with them and I've only heard <laughs> that you speak about them. You know, it's, it's so brilliant to hear. It's not just a horse and we're training it to do this. It's not just a horse and we're using this technique. It is who is this horse and what are we, how are we growing together? How are we you know, you're getting a real sense of who they are more than anything else. The writing is something that's just like, oh yeah, that happened too. But (laughs) look at who this, who this animal is. Look at this being and what you've been able to achieve in relationship. The training stuff doesn't even matter in the end. Yeah. So the biggest thing that happened in the last couple of weeks with Atlas was he actually was willing for the first time to eat grass 
while I was in the touching distance. Wow. And it seems like a little thing, but for two years, anytime I was close enough to touch him, he couldn't eat. And to have him make that breakthrough where all of a sudden he felt safe enough to put his dad down and eat grass, even though I was close enough to touch him. It was so exciting for everybody who's been watching his progress. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. And it begs the question, you know, when you had finished the first movie and you were doing the tour and everyone's like, I don't really have a year to go out into the wild and, and, and do this. How do we make it faster? But these stallions are showing those people is faster better and how much time are you going to take like are you going to take the time it takes or do you want the quick fix like it's throwing it's it's giving it back to them because it was a great question that they asked you right now these stallions are giving you a better question to ask them I love it (laughs) yeah Uh, you know I love the slow path I love the slow teaching Um, I teach an online course where I take 12 new students at a time and I work the same process that I'm teaching the students. And throughout the course, I talk about how much I love the slow path to really deeply learn the horse. But I also talk about it as a spectrum. You get to decide where on the spectrum you are going to be in terms of speeding it up or slowing it down. Now, If you adopt a stallion that's attacking people, you are going to be forced into the slowing it down side of the spectrum. But for most people with average horses, you get to decide how fast or slow is right for me. Mm. I love it. Great. So we've got Patreon, which is wonderful. We've got your online courses. How else can we connect with you? (laughs) So um, last year, I started a really fun little thing that I thought was just going to be a couple of episodes and it ended up taking off and is very popular now. And it's called Tuesday Tea with Elsa. So every Tuesday at noon, I sit and have a cup of tea and talk about some theory on Facebook Live. And people can ask questions and chat with me about whatever it is that we are thinking about that week. And then I post all of the episodes up on YouTube and Patreon as well. But um, it's kind of a fun tradition. I think we've done 66 episodes now. Wow. And <laughs> it's not nearly as official as a podcast. It's just me sitting under a tree with a horse eating hay behind me. And yeah. I chat for a few minutes. It's still um, great though. What, it's wonderful <laughs> dedication. Look at that. That is amazing. So, a lot of times people will, you know, email me a question that they'd love me to talk about, but then I have a big list of questions and I try and pick a question that relates to a real life story that's happened in my life. Something that I've done with a horse or experienced with a horse or just worked through with a student so that I can apply a real life story to answer that question Mm. if I can. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so you're on Facebook and you've got all the other socials, do you? Are you, are you on TikTok? I am not on TikTok. No. I couldn't imagine you would be on TikTok. TikTok's <laughs> like, let's shorten it up and make it sweet and snappy. I'm like, that doesn't sound no. like you. I'm not on TikTok and I'm not on Twitter. Um, I am just on Instagram and Facebook and yeah. YouTube. 
Yeah, um, it's quite a lot to keep up with all the social media these it days. It is too much for me as well. I'm not on TikTok <laughs> or Twitter either. And that will only come if one day I become big enough to have a social media person. And I'll say, okay, you take TikTok, you take Twitter, you take Facebook, you take Instagram. And I'm just going to be over here with the horses. That is my great dream. Somebody yeah. else takes on that while I actually just do the stuff for the horses because it is very time consuming. It is. I do find there is a beautiful piece about social media and interacting with the bigger world. Yes. That gets my brain ticking over in new directions because the work I do is so simple and so slow and so peaceful, but then somebody will ask just the right question and I'll think, Oh, have I ever thought of it from that angle before? And then the way that I'm able to answer them actually turns out to be a breakthrough when I go visit Atlas later that day. I go, mm. oh, I can apply that to this situation. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful connected world we live in. It's just the time it takes to run the socials that's a little bit of the <laughs> aggravating part. But the socials themselves, I love them. I absolutely yeah. love them. Just even just what we're doing now, you know, we're sitting yeah. in our little, you know, little places, offices and opposite ends of the world and we're having this amazing conversation. <laughs> it will never cease to blow my mind ever. And um, what we're actually able to do and how we're able to connect, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. It really is. I'm so glad for it. You know, we live in, in interesting times in many ways, but I think if we can keep coming back to our grounding and our roots with the horses and then enjoy everything the world has to offer and then come back and ground again, there's a beautiful mix there to be had. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you fully. Well, Elsa, is there anything else we need to, you would like to say before we wrap up? I think the main thing that I'd like to say is that all the work that I do slowing things down, working with horses in freedom. It's not any different from the faster paced dominant work that people do. It's the same stuff. I've just taken it to a pace and a, a level of intensity that is so low that horses become voluntarily interested in it. And they go, yeah, I want to try that with you. And I think that that's pretty wonderful to experience. And I hope that I can keep sharing it with as many people who are interested in it as I am. How magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Well, Elsa, thank you so much for your time today, but more so thank you for slowing us down. <laughs> you know, giving a gift to the horse world. And if there's one thing we need to do as humans, it's just to slow the heck down every now and then. And that's so beautiful yeah. that um, everyone wants the deep connection, but they might want it a bit faster. <laughs> able to be actually had, <laughs> give me the pill kind of thing. So thank yeah. you for showing us what slowness gives us. We have a choice. We can go faster yeah. and we can and we can do all of those things or we can slow down and you're giving us the gift of what happens if we do slow down that's what i'd like to do absolutely thank so you thank for chatting you with me so much <laughs> i'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life this is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help 
If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you, as a subscriber, will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boosts the podcast up. And basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world. You could also share this podcast with a friend. Tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy. All the links you need can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.